0: Well, good morning. I want to welcome you this morning, and you that are joining us uh, by live stream, welcome. Let we stand as we go to the Lord in prayer, and I just really believe that we're living in a moment where we, we can't pray enough. Amen. We're at that stage, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. <clears throat> and I sense that even as COVID is ramping up for the third time, and it seems like it's even more... Uh, infectious, and more people are contracting it across the globe. Actually, I've been following other countries. Lots of challenges in our world today. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning, and you have a challenge in your life. And just with an uplifted hand, you say, "I want to just bring this challenge before God. I want, I want God to hear my heart this morning. I want to lift them before the Lord." So, Lord, we just thank you this morning that you're such an amazing Father that you care about every need. There's nothing. In your mind that seems too small nothing too great nothing impossible with you father so we can bring all of these challenges before you we pray for our world today there's such brokenness heartache um, and our response so often in times of difficulty and crisis is generally uh, a struggle lord a lot of people are battling fear and discouragement and despair And I just pray, Father, that today you would purvey hope and encouragement and strength and that we would not feel powerless, Lord, but that our confidence in you would rise up within us, Lord, and that we would be a part of the solution to our world's troubles and trials, Lord, that as we participate with you, as we are engaged with you, Father, as we're taking our our, um, understanding from your counsel, Lord, help us to be a model in a time of perplexity and confusion, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen, you may be seated. I'm gonna have you turn in your Bibles this morning. We're gonna look at uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 10. In Rumors of Another World, Philip Yancey tells a short story by a Spanish writer by the name of Carmen Code and uh, Cord. sorry. Cord tells of a young woman who gives birth to a son who's blind. And she doesn't want her child to know that he's blind or has any, this kind of a disability. So when she informs all of her family and their near neighbors to help them to avoid using telltale words such as light, color, sight. And so the boy at first grows up totally unaware that he has this dis- disability, just assumes this is the way everybody's functioning. And then one day, a young girl jumps over the fence and spoils everything by using all the forbidden words. His world is shattered in the face of this new reality. And then Yancey goes on In modern times, Christians resemble the strange girl who brings a message from outside. To a skeptical audience, they bring rumors of of another world beyond the fence. And that world is actually a supernatural world, an invisible world that many people wonder if it really exists, especially people who are what we would consider materialists, that what you see is all there is. And yet, we recognize that there's a growing interest in the paranormal today, especially in the last 20 years. It just seems to be intensifying. We see it in the media. Uh, There's an interest in that which is invisible. People are curious. In May of 2002, in a Harper magazine, there was a very interesting statement that supported the idea that what we see is only a fraction of what actually exists in our world. And the quote was that they estimated um, the estimated amount of matter in the universe determined this year to be invisible was 98%. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a startling statement. What, what it means is that what you and I see is only 2% of all of the reality in our universe. I mean, that's kind of a shocking thing. And yet, the Scriptures actually teach that that which is unseen is more real than that which is seen. That which is unseen is eternal. That which is unseen... Uh, is really what's defining and determining that which you and I see, which is also very temporal. Daniel 10 brings us behind the scenes to understand that there are actually spiritual entities that are at war with God's purposes in our world. I think that's an important point. We need to be aware of that. And so I think a lot of us right now are frustrated and upset, and we're trying to you know, tackle issues that seem beyond our grasp. And we're trying to control it in our natural understanding. And human beings, we're trying to manage these medical issues. We're trying to somehow, you know, salvage our economy. we got all these things happening at one time. And yet, what I'm going to try to bring across this morning is that the problem is actually larger than that. We're in a cosmic struggle. And it's spiritual in nature. And Dr. Longman reminds us that the Bible as a whole calls us to a life of a warrior in a world of conflict. How many go, wow, I didn't sign up for that. But the moment you and I become a child of God, the reality is we're in a spiritual battle. And so for many of us, with COVID interrupting into our world, we've we've kind of moved away from the idea that life is a playground to all of a sudden, maybe this is the true picture, that life is a battlefield. And that you and I need to be more engaged in understanding this conflict that we're experiencing around us all the time. And we're wondering, is this normal? And I'm going to argue that this is actually the normal life this life of difficulty and struggle and suffering and conflict, these are all part of what's happening. And it's a lot of it is hidden from our, our uh, vantage point. I think we end up fighting in three areas. And I think we can learn from both Testaments that the weapons change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites, people of God, were fighting with the Canaanites, they were just killing them. But in the New Testament, we know that that's totally inappropriate, that's unwise, and that's not biblical. Actually, in the New Testament, we, we see a total transformation in how you and I are to engage with people who don't know God or are not in a covenant relationship with God. You and I, actually, we, we uh, recognize that our relationship Oh, sorry, Peter O'Brien says, the devil and his minions are able to rule the lives of men and women who belong to this tyranny of darkness. So in other words, there is this conflict going on and people are affected. They're called children of disobedience and the powers exploit culture and social systems in their attempt to wreck the creative and saving work of God. They're trying to create havoc in our world. They're trying to disrupt God's plan and purposes for our, our world today. And we know that evil can raise its ugly head in so many which ways. We can see it, uh, that these evil entities are actually perpetrating some of the stuff in the realms of politics, or education, or medicine, media, the arts, and even within the church as an institution. Evil can raise its ugly head, but before we can decry the, 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 the institutions where we see evil raging, I think we need to look no further than our own families, or even maybe even more deeply than that within our own soul, because the battle is actually being fought within ourselves. And as children of God, we recognize that before we came to Christ that we were being controlled by our own sinful desires and impulses and nature. But when we came to Christ, God's spirit came inside of us. God gave us a new nature, but he did not eradicate the old nature. It still lies dormant within our lives, and every once in a while it flares its ugly head. And we tend to be overcome by sinful impulses. And instead of saying no to them, we say yes. And then we're in a state of defeat. So whereas in the Old Testament, when we're relating to these people, as I've already mentioned, the Canaanites, in the New Testament, our engagement with people is within the context of the gospel. In other words, the real warfare is happening when we're sharing our faith with people, that we're actually bringing life and good news, that God didn't come into the world and God doesn't desire the world to suffer condemnation. He came in the world to save it. And you and I are his agents in this world, bringing this amazing message of God's love and grace into people's lives. And that's the way, that's one of the great weapons that we fight with, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need to do so with, as we're going to find out when I preach in Peter, with gentleness and with respect. That's the best way to engage people. Dr. Longman points out that there's a part of us that still acts as if we're part of this world rather than pilgrims looking forward to the realities of heaven. So it seems that we we tend to allow what we see to define our lives far more significantly than that which we internally know from Scripture, that there's more to it than that, but we end up defaulting to getting sucked into this vortex of challenges in our own culture. And we many times handle it improperly or we, we become paralyzed by fear. We know that there are evil forces that are in conflict against God's people and God's kingdom. And so we're going to raise the question, how does that really happen? How does that transpire? And as we look into Daniel chapter 10, we're going to see that there are huge empires at work, that the enemy is controlling in some ways. He's got, he's influencing, controlling maybe is not the right word, but influencing in very powerful ways. And Clinton Arnold, biblical scholar, writing on this area, he says this, to know, uh, but the Both the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece in these passages are not references to human rulers, but to angelic forces. There's a clear consensus among Bible scholars on this foundational point. When the angel reveals to Daniel, what the angel reveals to Daniel only whets our appetite for more insight into the nature of this heavenly warfare, but more is not given. But the book of Daniel does impress upon our hearts and minds so clearly as the absolute sovereignty of God and that he is in control of world history. And we'll see that in the final two chapters, though we won't be talking much about them. I'm just going to allude to those things. God knows and predetermines the succession of empires. Isn't it interesting when you know, God appears to Daniel, he's concerned about his present history, But God wants to show Daniel something even more significant, what's going to happen to the people of God in the future. And he takes us right to the end of the age. And in that, we see one succession of empire after another, which I think is very fascinating. And yet, when we get to the very end of it, what we realize is that God's kingdom emerges. And we know from Scripture, and we know looking at now from our vantage point from history, how great the kingdom of God really is and how wonderful this kingdom is Is really expanding in our world. And that kingdom will never end. And that's the hope that you and I have. And we can live with this amazing consolation, this this encouragement. And so that's what I'm going to try to convey to us today, that you and I don't need to live in despair. You and I need to live filled with hope and encouragement because really God is in control. Even as Clinton Arna points out, that Daniel models for us earnest intercessory prayer to our father in heaven our almighty father on behalf of god's people and this makes a dramatic difference so in other words you know you and i are not just passive little pawns in a chess you know piece that's sometimes how we feel but the reality is that we're participants with god in this amazing cosmic struggle and as you and i engage in prayer that we actually become involved in this amazing process And so there's an encouragement for us not to just be passive or be in despair or feel like we're helpless and there's nothing we can do about life, but the reality is you and I can actually participate with God's forces to see his kingdom continually move forward. So how does our prayer make a difference in this cosmic struggle? And what can we learn from Daniel's approach to the challenges he and his people were facing in that time of exile. See, Daniel was actually taken into exile. He was taken into captivity where there were many limitations and restrictions in their lives as God's people. Doesn't that sound kind of similar? Doesn't that sound eerily similar to where we're living right now, where we have these restrictions and limitations? So this is not foreign to what's happened in the past, folks. And I think we need to get a hold of that. What can we learn from people in that state? What we can learn from Daniel and how he responds to these restrictions and limitations I think are extremely important for us today. And so in the book of Daniel here in chapter 10, I think we see two elements that will bring encouragement, in a season of distress. And I think this is a season of distress. I think, right now, people are weary. I think that, you know, we're we're saying, really, the third wave, and it's actually moving faster and more dramatically than the first two? I think it's kind of, you know, people are just like, they feel overwhelmed by it. So let's take a look at what God's word has to say for us so we can move forward. I think the first one is simply to pray and fast while seeking God for answers. Often we see prayer as the last resort in our life. Usually when we're in a crisis, we start praying, you know? Isn't that kind of how a lot of people operate? When we're under a lot of pressure, okay, now we'll pray. Or maybe we feel like prayer is a waste of time. You know, listen, Pastor, you, we, you get us praying and praying and praying, but we don't seem to think that much is happening as a result of our prayer. Maybe we feel like, you know, I've been praying a long time for an answer and nothing has occurred so far, and I feel like just packing it in and giving up. And then often in, t- in, in a demand of a busy life with all kinds of challenges, we just want to roll up our sleeves and go to it, right? Right? Isn't that how we are? We just want to get on with our day or if we want to tackle these problems with our natural understanding, you know? We're going to do something about this. We gotta, we're going to act on this situation. And many times when we do that, we just make things worse. Or maybe we feel so paralyzed and and frustrated that it just immobilizes us and we don't know what to do and we sink into despair and discouragement. And yet the Scriptures point out over and over again, number one, the battle is the Lord's. How many are thankful for that? that you and I are operating not from a position of uh, defeat. We're operating from a position of victory. What Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, he defeated the powers of darkness. We need to keep that in our minds. When Daniel was praying, he was before the cross. You and I are functioning from the cross, which is a different position entirely. And I think when we take a look in the Old Testament, we see a kind of a pictorial image of the power and nature of prayer. And I love the story, and I'm sorry I don't have the PowerPoint for it, but uh, I was thinking about that this morning, and I slipped it into my notes. In Exodus chapter 17, you know, the story of the Amalekites attack, attacking, uh, and, and attacking the Israelites in the wilderness. And we read the story, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, how many know if you keep your hands up long enough, they will grow tired. And when they grew tired, they took a stone. This is uh, both Aaron and her, and they put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And Joshua overcame. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. We get a picture that every time Moses' hands were up, they were winning. Every time his hands went down, they were losing. And so Aaron and her saw this correlation, and they decided, we've got to keep his hands up. And so they assisted Aaron, uh, Moses by holding his hands up. Now, when we read that story, we go, what in the world is going on here? Doesn't it sound like a weird story to you? You know, it seems like what was going on on the top of the hill was more important than what was going down below. Even though that people's lives were at stake down below, even though the battle was going down here, I think it's a picture of the way life works. You and I are kind of fighting bat- battles down here below, but up above, there are people engaged in prayer. And How do you know that they're engaged in prayer? Because the Apostle Paul says something to this effect. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse eight, when he says, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and disputing. Do you know why people are so angry today? And why we're ha- there's so much disputation right now and there's so much polarization? It's real simple, we mustn't be praying. Because if we're praying, we're actually doing what the scripture is teaching us here. We won't be doing it. God doesn't want us praying with anger. God wants us to actually learn how to pray. And so the elevation of our hands is actually a posture of prayer for the Jewish person. That was the posture of prayer for the people of God. And so when you and I are praying, what we're doing is elevating our hands. And what's happening is it's having a deep impact in what's happening In the natural realm. You know, I have a little saying that, you know, whatever's going to happen in the physical realm is preceded by what's happened in the spiritual realm. If you want to win the battles on earth, you got to pray and see the spiritual arena addressed before you're ever going to see the outcomes in the natural arena. And so Daniel understood that prayer was a key in dealing with the uncertainties of life. How many here could say that life is filled with uncertainties? And I'm telling you right now that the key to handling this moment of uncertainty is that you and I would engage in prayer. What we often don't understand is that all our human efforts come up short is that we're actually battling against spiritual entities that are influencing behind the scenes. And when we find then we then we find things exasperating, and we just can 't seem to get ahead, or we just don 't seem to see things get resolved. How many have ever been like that you know i 'm praying right now for certain things, and i 'm going, this is so frustrating i haven 't seen any movement on certain fronts for a long time. Anybody relate to this and i 'm sure Daniel felt that way, you know, and what 's the answer don 't give up don 't stop praying, just keep going and we 're going to see that in the story in Daniel chapter ten here. Uh, I think the power of putting the things of the Spirit first, focusing on prayer. We only learn this as we mature in our Christian life. You know, it's interesting in Daniel chapter 10, most scholars believe that he was between 84 and 85 years old. So he's not a young person in this story, but Daniel knew the value of seeking God. As a matter of fact, Daniel first came into the first great empire, Babylon, when he was a teenager. And so he actually lived through four or five reigns of different Babylonian kings. And then we get him to, uh, into the Persian Empire, which is at the very end of, of his life. And in Daniel chapter 10, we read in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. You know, I just kind of point out something to us. Belteshazzar was his Babylonian name. That's the only time it's used here at the end of his life. Now, think about this. He's taken into captivity and given him a different name. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, gives him this name. This is a name of a Babylonian god. How many would like to have your name changed into the name of a demonic power? You wouldn't like it very much. There'd be a lot more fighting going on, a lot more frustration. How did Daniel handle it? What could he do about it? You know? Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. So God is revealing to him certain things, but there were also things happening to the people of God because earlier in in the first year of Cyrus' reign, what did he do was he he allowed the Jewish people to go and to to repatriate, to go back to their land, to build their own temple, to reestablish themselves under the Persian reign. Isn't that amazing? But yet we know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there was a lot of opposition and difficulty in actually achieving that. And so Daniel was aware of that. And I'm sure he was praying about all that stuff that was going on, even though he himself was not one of the exiles that went back. And some people wonder, why didn't he go back? Well, maybe it was his age, or maybe it was the responsibilities he held in court with the Persian government. We don't know. It says here, he mourned for three weeks, and I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions until all the three weeks were over. So Daniel was actually fasting. Now, he wasn't totally fasting foods, but he was certainly limiting his diet, was he not? And so in a sense, you know, people call this the Daniel fast because there's a limitation in what he's eating for the 21 days. And while he's doing that, he's doing it for a reason. And I like what Daniel Wallace says, in Old Testament times, people took seriously the idea that physical fasting helped them as they sought to receive revelation and guidance from God. Now, why do you think that might be important? Well, because I think a lot of times we spend an inordinate amount of time in our day around food. Does anybody realize that? Yeah. You know, you got to shop for it, you got to make it, you got to eat it, you got to clean up. after. And when you do that three times in a day, it's amazing how much time you've used just in feeding your body. But when you don't do that for a couple of days, like that's why we have these days of prayer and fasting, you have a lot more time on your hands. When people say, Pastor, I don't have time to pray. Well, if you fast, you'll have time to pray. If you thought about that, you just use that time differently, right? Gaining insight and discernment for our times and our circumstances. How many think we probably need a little insight and a little wisdom how to handle this moment of time? I think we need to seek God and ask him, what should we be doing? And I think it's powerful when you and I do it collectively. Because sometimes when we do it individually, we come up with ideas and maybe they're not right on. But I've noticed over the last 23 years since I came back from the States and have been the pastor here, we've done a lot of seasons of fasting and prayer in this church. And I've noticed one thing as we've gathered together different nights. It's amazing to me how many times a theme emerges in those evenings that God's spirit kind of just kind of shows us what we need to be focusing in on. It's really been amazing to me. And so I think that there's wisdom in the multitude of counsel. We learn from Daniel that there are things that are concealed to us, and the only way to understand what is happening is through spiritual effort on our part. This introduction to the vision shows us the importance of seeking God. It also suggests to me that there are things that God conceals and will only reveal them to those who earnestly seek him Do you know god is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him it says but without faith it's impossible to please god and you have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him god calls us to seek after him and isn't it interesting when jesus came and was preaching he talked in parables and in matthew 13 we read the disciples said to him well why are you speaking to people in parables you know it's not that clear jesus what you're trying to say You know, And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of God, the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What did he mean by that? He said, I'm not just going to give out these beautiful pearls and people are just superficial about it. You know what's going to happen? They're not going to get it. But people who are earnest about knowing the reality of these truths will persevere and understand what I'm saying and will embrace them. And that's important. And by the way, we're not just here seeking information for the sake of information. We're seeking to know the mind of God in order to know what to do. It's not just, you know, I want, you know, I just have a curiosity that I'm trying to satisfy. No, I'm trying to hear from the voice of God to do what he's asking of us and especially during this pandemic, I I really believe we need a breakthrough. We need God's wisdom and understanding of how to respond to some of the challenges that are presenting themselves. And I think this is one way of, of attaining that. Well, the second element, and I've only got two points today, is that the vision explains the unseen world affecting the world in which we live. It's while Daniel is seeking God that he has messengers from God which we call angels to show him what's about to transpire. Verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, and then he tells you which one, the Tigris. Usually, when he, if you'd have just said the great river, I would have thought the Euphrates, but now he's specifying which river. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen. Anytime I read that, usually it tells me it's probably some supernatural being, a man dressed in linen, you know, we, we had Easter last Sunday. We talked about the men dressed in linen at the tomb. They were angels. With a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now, this almost sounds like the same vision that John had in the book of Revelation of Jesus in his exalted risen state. And some scholars argue that this is actually a theophany, which literally means, theo means God. It means a pre-incarnation exp- uh, appearance of Jesus Christ. And there are some in the Old Testament. But I don't believe that that's what's happening here, even though it looks like it. And the reason I, I, I don't believe it, and the re- and other scholars don't believe it, and I agree with them on this, is simply this. Because this angel is hindered from coming to Daniel for 21 days. And I really believe if Jesus wants to go somewhere no, no powers of darkness will ever be able to hinder him. So I, I think this is a, a, an angel. And I would even probably uh, mention that in chapter 9, verse 22 of Daniel, one of the angels that keeps coming to Daniel over his lifetime is the angel Gabriel. Gabriel, isn't that interesting? Who is Gabriel? He's one of what we call an archangel or one of the more premier angels. He's an angel that stands at the at the seat and near the throne of God. He's one of God's premier messengers. He's the one that came and brought the message to Mary about the birth of Jesus. So here he is bringing us very significant message to this man, Daniel. It says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Isn't that interesting? Now, why was that? Well, that's, that's very typical. We'll see that in another situation. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. This is one of those experiences when the supernatural breaks into the natural world, you feel like the hairs in the back of your neck are standing straight back. These guys were petrified. This was a little bit of an overwhelming experience. How many could appreciate when the supernatural breaks into the natural? It'll probably get your attention, and it'll probably freak you out a little bit because every time I read about angels showing up, it is a little intense. They didn't see the angel. They didn't see the vision, but they certainly knew something supernatural was happening. You know, actually, when I read of Paul's conversion story in the book of Acts, I see the same thing happening there. It says, the men traveling with Saul, which was his Hebrew name, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So here we have another time where the person that God is trying to talk to actually sees more than the people around them. Isn't that an amazing thought? I, I think there's something to be said about when we're pursuing God or when God's pursuing us. He can break in and zero in and reveal things to us. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Let me think, this part kind of a traumatic experience here for Daniel. He goes, then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. So here, here's what happens is he falls flat on his face, his face is to the ground. He goes into kind of a, a, tra- a trance-like state, kind of into a deep sleep. He's just like out And then a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So the angel reaches down, touches Daniel. He gets up, but he's kind of like on all fours, hands and knees, right? And, And he continues on. He says to him, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had said this to me, I stood up trembling. So, you know, this is still a very trauma experience for Daniel. But I love the words that the angel spoke to him. You who are highly esteemed. Now, Tremper Longman, who's a Hebrew scholar, says this. The Hebrew for this English phrase is really two words. Ish, is, it's ish. Isha is woman. Ish is man. Ish, hamadot. The first noun being the common word for man, and the second, a noun derived from a verbal root, best known as the main verb of the 10th commandment, to covet. So man, you're a man highly coveted. That's what he's really saying, and Dr. Laman concludes, Daniel is highly desired. He's a precious man. He's coveted by God. You know, when I, when I read that this week, I got so excited. I, was, I just started thinking about that. I said to myself, how would you like to be a person that God says about you? I highly covet you. I highly desire you. How many say that's beautiful? Can I just say something to all of us here? You know, we could say, well, that's just so neat how God sees Daniel. I want to tell you something. That's how God sees humanity. You see, you and I need to understand something. When God creates human beings, why did he create us? It's for himself. God desires and longs for our relationship with us. As a matter of fact, he loves us so deeply and he longs for us so intensely that he sent his son to die for us so we could be reconciled to him and that you and I could walk in fellowship with God because God desires us. God longs to be in relationship with us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You know, when you and I neglect really spending time in prayer, what are we really doing? We're we're, we're, we're basically caught up with things that are less than what's really important compared to what's eternal. God longs to relate to us, guys. He longs to be in communion with us. He longs to fellowship with us. I mean, that's an amazing thing. You know, that you and I, he, he, he longs for so much that in the, in the new covenant, he actually lives within us. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within us, and we become God's dwelling place. And we're hanging with God, and God's hanging with us. And you and I can talk to God at any moment. That, tor- that veil that, 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 was, uh, that kept us from the very holy of holies has now been torn from the top to the bottom so that you and I are actually inside now. You and I are inside where the presence of God is. We can talk to God at any moment. Isn't that amazing? And yet so often we fail to do that. So often we allow the outward circumstances. We allow the pressures of this life. We allow the fears and the, the natural circumstances. We allow the winds and the waves, like for Peter, sinking in the water. We allow all of these things to trouble our hearts. And then what happens is we forget He's only a whisper away. Aren't you glad Peter realized I'm sinking? Lord, help me. Help. One word. Jesus reaches down, pulls him back up. Isn't that amazing? God is as near as that for all of our lives, and I think that's powerful. Well, he goes on and he continues. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Isn't that an amazing statement, don't be afraid? I don't know about you, I was reading this morning in my own quiet time, and over and over again, I keep hearing these words, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. I mean, those words are over and over and over again in the scriptures. That just tells me as human beings where we tend to be extremely fearful, apprehensive, anxious, right? We're worried about things. We're concerned about how life is going to play out. Can I say to you that God is more concerned about your future than you are? God already knows where you're headed. You and I need to learn how to trust him. You and I need to learn how to relax and let him take us to our destination. He'll get us there. you know. Sometimes I think we're like the disciples in the boat straining at the oars. Jesus is looking from the hilltop. He's looking right at them. They don't see him, but he sees them. And then all of a sudden, he walks on the water, gets into the boat, and the Bible says immediately they were on the other place. Can I tell you, say, say something? Even though you and I struggle to get to where we need to go, God can get you there real fast. We need to start relaxing a little bit. You know, he says, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself, I think fasting is a part of humbling ourselves, before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. First day. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So the king of Persia, okay, the prince of the Persian kingdom, he's talking about a spiritual entity here influencing the Persian king. Now you have Gabriel hindered from bringing God's answer immediately. It's a beautiful picture of why prayer sometimes is delayed. There's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realms. But here we have a picture of Michael who is actually the angel, the, you know, the, the angel who is responsible for Israel. He goes in and joins in the battle, and it allows Gabriel to slip away and go down and talk to Daniel to say the message or give him the vision that God wants him to hear. And so chapter 10 is really the introduction. Chapters 11 and 12 describe the vision. What's the vision, Pastor? How these various nations rise and fall, rise and fall, but in the end, God's kingdom prevails. I love how Tremper Longman reminds us that this vision is to teach us that in spite of of present appearances, God is in control and will win the victory. Come on now. We need to hear this. In spite of, despite present appearances, God's going to win. And that's what you and I need to know. So it's not that you and I war against these territorial spirits. That's not what the point is. I think a lot of people, you know, they got into that about 30 years ago. That's not what it's about. I'll, I'll let the angels fight with the angels. That's not our job. Our job is to pray and participate in God's agenda. And when we do that, I think we're, we're, we're basically allowing God to incorporate us into the battle, that you and I can be a part of God's plan. He doesn't want us to just sit on the sidelines. He wants us to share in his kingdom. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. So in other words, he said, my assignment is to fight against the prince of Persia. But eventually that empire will fall down and, the, and then Greece will rise up and I'll have to fight against that territorial spirit. Now, why, why do you think this is all important? Well, let me just point out something to you. You know how when I look at Persia, I have a tendency to see Persia as favorable to the Jewish people. Don't you see that? You know, they allow them to go back to their promised land. It seems like God raised them up for that purpose. But I want to point out a few things to us and how the enemy works even in what I would consider, you know, an environment where you think these guys are for us. Let's just point, I want to just bring a little thought. There's a reason why there's warfare going on all the time. And that every human institution can be under the influence of Satan at any given point. Let me bring you back in time. This is, before, this is a little later on when Xerxes is now reigning. Look what happens. Haman arrives on the scene. He becomes one of the key leaders in the Persian Empire under Xerxes. Haman is not happy. This is in the book of Esther because Mordecai, the cousin of Queen Esther, remember the story starts out Xerxes was upset with Vashti, he dismissed her as the queen. They had the kind of a beauty contest. Esther becomes the queen. She's descendant. She's a, a Jewish girl. She's now the queen. Meanwhile, Haman rises to the top of the pile, and Mordecai won't acknowledge his leadership in some measure. And, and this is so amazing to me. The fact that one guy would buck him, he decides it's not good enough to destroy just Mordecai. He decides to destroy every last Jewish person. How many think that's kind of a bizarre thing? As a matter of fact, we read in the book of Esther, the couriers went out after making that assignment, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. How many go, this this edict made no sense? Do you know why that came about? Principalities and power. The prince of Persia was influencing the king of Persia. How many see it? Can you see the warfare going on here? So what's the antidote to this situation? Well, we pick it up. Mordecai finds out about what's happening. And we read, he he tears his clothes, which is a sign of grieving, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. So he's crying out. He's crying out. He's lamenting over this great loss. Eventually, Esther finds out, what's he doing, doing that kind of behavior? He tells her, listen, Esther. Haman has just set a decree that's going to is going to actually create a genocide and destroy us all as Jewish people. How many can hear that the dark angels are always out to destroy God's people? They're always out to oppose the kingdom of God. Can you see it? He says, you know, maybe Esther, God had you rise up and become the queen because of this terrible moment. You need to go before the king and appeal for your people. She goes, listen, I can't do that. There's a law in Persia that you can only be come into the king's presence when he summons you. And I haven't been summoned for an entire month. If I go in there right now, he could kill me. Unless he shows favor and extends the golden scepter. And uh, Mordecai says, well, listen, if you don't go in and do this, he said, God may bring deliverance to the Jews from another means, but you're not going to benefit from not doing this. And then her response is, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Isn't that a powerful thing? So what is she saying? She's saying, listen, why don't we cry out to God and ask for his favor? See, now we begin to see how human prayers, the participation of God's people, how it begins to affect even the heavenly discourses of things. And so she, we all know the story. She goes in, he gives her favor. Eventually, the whole thing is overturned. Isn't that an amazing thing? So what was meant for evil, God eventually uses for good. We need to understand something. God can overthrow this COVID thing. What was meant for evil, God can use for good. I believe that with all of my heart. But you and I need to be spending time crying out to God and asking for his mercy, just like they did here in the book of Esther. We need to realize that our, uh, that our struggle uh, is not against flesh and blood. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply concerned, because a lot of Christians, we make it you know very earthly and personal. We're all upset about things, but our, our battle's not against that. We're, but our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You and I, if we, if we don't deal with this in the right way, we're not going to win anything. We're just going to exasperate and create all kinds of problems. We're going to look like we're, we're just going to create havoc. And I think a lot of Christians do that with all of our anger and frustration and all the rest of it. Why don't we get on our, hand, our, our knees and begin to cry out to God like we see the model being done here in the book of Daniel and in the book of Esther? Daniel Wallace says, a tension between Persia and the people of God is reflected in the heavenly realms, and they are also being fought between the prince of the kingdom of Persia and Michael. Even more remarkable is the fact that Daniel's most intense agony when he fasted and prayed with great conflict of soul took place during the period of of a great struggle in heaven between Michael and the prince of Persia, and we see that. Do we really understand where this is all coming from, this huge battle? It's coming from above. It's coming from this spiritual realm. Its origin is spiritual in nature, and it's designed to bring devastation to people. Our primary response should be spiritual. The weapons employed should be spiritual, and that's why seasons of prayer and fasting are so critical. Here in our text, we see that Daniel participated in the battle that was happening. He was encouraged as God showed him the many future empires, but each would be supplanted until eventually God's kingdom would arise and be established. This prophetic message was to encourage Daniel and us that the kingdoms of this world one day will be fully the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Hey, guys, we're on the winning side. We are going to prevail. We need to understand that. So what's the takeaway from the text today? Well, the idea of what is transpiring on earth is a reflection of the spiritual conflict happening in the spiritual realms, number one. Our participation in prayer is part of the great conflict and solution to the issues that are before us. Are we seeing that? Can you see Daniel's prayer, God's answer, God's revelation, and then what God does while Daniel's doing that. And, you know, this battle is a continuous battle. You know, we act like, okay, we just won that battle back here, but it seems to keep creeping up over and over and over again because there's many battles. Do you think the enemy's going to stop fighting? You know? No, he's not. And where does he attack? I think he attacks in so many areas. He attacks in the political arena. He attacks in the educational arena. He attacks in the area of entertainment. He attacks in... Uh, the media. I mean, all of these arenas he's attacking in, and you and I need to recognize it. We we take we take that the, we kind of have us and them mentality. I go, no, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're, we need to target higher. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. We need to take out the spiritual uh, dynamics that's actually moving these these parts over here. That's what we need to be doing. I would argue that the greatest work we may ever do is learn to pray. And I think most of us don't learn that till we get older. We just are so busy trying to do do do. We end up in the do do. You know. <laughs> Learning how to seek God for wisdom and direction in life's perplexing and challenging events rather than trying to manipulate people and things to suit us. That's how a lot of people operate. Lots of pressure on people. That's wrong. You know why it's wrong? because that's how the enemy works. That's what he's doing all the time. He manipulates and influences people to do evil. But when God works, he makes all things to work together for good to those who love him. And then I love this verse. He makes all things beautiful in his time, not ours. Our problem is that we so often give up on prayer because we don't gain the desired results immediately. Daniel prayed until the answer came. And that's my prayer, that you and I would pray until the answer comes. Let's stand. Let's ask God to help us. You know, I believe that God wants to speak into our lives. How many many believe that? God wants to encourage us. God wants to strengthen us. God wants to make himself known to us. God covets us. He desires us. He longs for us that you and I, in the next three days, I mean, let's try coming, maybe one night or at least live-streamed. You know, we got three days. You can be there all three. You can live-stream some, be here some. You know, whatever, you know, I'm not telling you how to go about doing it. But I want to encourage us. It's so good to do this as a church family. And to really target these things and say, Lord, we need to hear your voice. We need wisdom in this hour. We need to operate correctly. I see the church so polarized today. There's so many people, you know, we're, we're for this and we're against that. Folks, we need to, we're not, we're not the enemy. My brother and sister is not the enemy. I'm going to shock you. The government's not the enemy. The people, you know, in the society are not the enemy. Christ loves them. So you and I need to get past all of that. We need to recognize we do have an enemy, but it's a spiritual entity, and the way to engage it is the way I'm suggesting this morning, that you and I come to God in prayer and allow God to begin to break things into our hearts and show us the tools and the means in which we can help people. You know, sometimes repentance is a tool that I need to use. Sometimes walking in humility is a tool I need to use, right? Yeah, fasting is a tool. I'm just saying, you know, Sometimes it's taking thought captive that are in my own mind and making them obedient to Christ because the battle's going on in our thinking. And the enemy's battling us right there in our thoughts and he's bringing discouraging thoughts or, you know, angry thoughts. And if we don't take those things captive and make them obedient to Christ, we're going to lose. We're gonna be part of the problem and not part of the solution. How many here say, I wanna be part of the solution. I wanna collectively hear the voice of God, not just individually and run off and think I got all the answers. No, I wanna do it collectively. I wanna hear from God and I am going to hear from God not only directly from the Bible but from my brothers and sisters. And as we're praying together corporately, I believe God will give us wisdom and discernment and discretion. He'll give us understanding I believe that with all my heart. So Lord, we thank you this morning as we leave this place, recognizing that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against even the virus. It's not against uh, people that are trying to tell us what to do or what not to do. Lord, our battle is really in the heavenly realms. And Father, I pray that we will get so in step with you. We'll be like a Daniel of old. Father. We'll recognize the importance of crying out, seeking you, mourning, fasting, praying, weeping, Lord, calling out on behalf of the afflicted, the sick, the discouraged, the despairing, the fearful, the unbelieving, whatever the issues are, Father, the doubt, I pray today, Lord, that you'll put it in our hearts to seek your face with all of our hearts that we might know your purposes collectively not only for our communities, our province, and our nation, but even for our families and our individual lives. Lord, that you will distill things down into our hearts so that we will know what you're asking each and every one of us to do. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave today.